we're in Philippians chapter 4. Lord willing, we'll get done with this study this year. We got a lot to talk about. <laughs> so we'll trust the Lord to bless our time together. Um, let's do this while we're getting organized on the notes. Uh, we're going to pray and we're going to seek the Lord. We want to make the most of our time, but we need God's blessing over our lives. And so let's ask for it, all right? Father, we come to you right now in Jesus' name. And Lord, thank you so much for the privilege that we have to worship you today, to be able to just come and freely give you glory and honor and praise. Uh, we're very grateful. Lord, would you bless this time and use it to build us up? We want eyes to see and hearts and minds to receive your word. Lord, we want to we hear from you. And so, God, I pray that you'd take the weakness of my flesh uh, the insufficiency of my ability, and just set it all aside and take your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, build us in our faith. Lord, we want to be blessed so that we can be a blessing. We want to be the church that you designed us to be. And so, Father, uh, Lord, as we worship you, uh, the members of this church, uh, you're raising them up as stewards, and, and so they give, even in pandemic, and, and whether it's in the boxes or online, uh, whether they still give with a check or they just they use the, the digital uh, giving mechanisms, Lord, all of this falls out uh, to their, just it's, it's because of their faithfulness as stewards. And so, God, I pray that you'd bless us as stewards and, and then bless the stewardship collectively of this church, that the money that's given, Lord, it needs to be put to work, and it needs to work in a way that will multiply ministry around the world. And so, Lord, we trust you for that. Uh, Lord, we trust you with our nation right now and the opportunities that we'll have. Uh, this, is a very, this nation has never been more divided. There's never been more conflict or turmoil. Uh, Lord, we want to confess right now that Jesus is our King. And our contentment is based on who He is in our life, and our citizenship is in heaven. Uh, but Lord, we thank You for this nation, and we thank You for the opportunity to point people to Jesus. And so we ask for that. We ask for open doors. Uh, we ask also, um, you know, from the White House to local seats of government, Lord, we pray for kings and for all those that are in authority, Lord, because we want to live a quiet and peaceable life. And we want to live that life knowing that you're willing that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so, God, would you, would you so work in our government that it still falls out for us having a quiet and peaceable life so that we can do the business that you've called us to do? Uh, we trust you for that. And, Lord, in the face of conflict, we trust you for open doors. Lord, in the face of political uncertainty, we, we declare our confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, would you help us to be fishers of men? Uh, nothing like uncertainty opens more doors for the gospel. And so, uh, we want to we be busy in the harvest right now. Lord, bless our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, starting last Sunday, we introduced the voice of the martyrs again. We do this every fall. We want to make sure that we're praying for, you know, you, you may… You may think politically there's a lot of problems and, 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 and persecution here in the States. Uh, go live in the Sudan. Go live in Uganda. Uh, go live in communist China. Okay, so we've got, we've got brothers and sisters around the world that are suffering greatly for their faith. And so 
the voice of the martyrs that we, we, we order a bunch of material every fall and, and the Neufelds make sure that, that we get that organized. And so on the counter, the connections counter in the lobby, uh, grab some of the literature that's out there, find out how you can faithfully pray for the persecuted church. And then, uh, man, praise the Lord, the race, we had the Grayland 5K yesterday, Will Mata showed up and kicked some tail, uh, did everything that he prophesied he would do. Uh, even, even Jeff Grasher just gave up in the light of uh, Will Mata's. Huh? Jason, Jason, Jason White chickened out, sent his wife to run his race. He was so scared. So, um, praise the Lord, we had, we, had a, we had a pastor show up to the race. I kind of just jogged. It was a sad year for me, but... The Lord tarries, there's always next year. And then I will destroy Pastor Mata. Praise the Lord. Okay, so we'll see. All right, Philippians chapter 4. We just looked at one verse last week. In verse 9, here's a church that Paul is calling to do what they were taught. So what, what you see in me, right? What I've modeled for you. Right? Paul says they joined him, called him to join him in the doing of it. And so here was a church that was getting serious about the mission, and we're going to see that here in verses 10 through 13. They saw, the, they saw life dedicated to the mission, and, and so they were on board. And so the question, as we get into verse 10, is what do you care about? I want you to think about that for just a second. What do you care about? Well, I care who wins football. Are the Chiefs playing today? They are? What time's the game? Noon? Ah, oh, okay. This explains a lot. Okay. So, <clears throat> I care who wins it. What do you care? What do you really care about in life? What do you care about? Look at verse 10. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Okay, so we read verse 10 and we're like, wait a minute. What about verse 6? So now, in verse 6, we're told not to be careful for anything, but now we're supposed to care about Paul? Being careful is a good thing? I mean, this is the opposite of what we were just commanded in verse 6. Look at verse 6 again for review. The question is, okay, are we full of self-care? Self is the next blank. Full of care for self. And so the command in verse 6 is, be careful, be anxious for nothing. Be careful for nothing. Don't be a worrywart. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So the word that's rendered careful in verse 6, it just means to be anxious. So don't be a worry word. Don't be anxious about anything. That's verse 6. So now in verse 10, it's okay to worry about Paul? In fact, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly now that your care of me, right, at the la- now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. You were also careful, Paul said, over me. So how can we reconcile these two verses? Well, the key is this. We need the mind of Christ. Mind is your next blank. Ephesians 5.17 says we're not to be unwise, but wise, right? Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. We need to know the will of the Lord. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Okay, 
Man, oh man, we need this. We need the Word of God in our life. We need God's mind to be our mind. We need to be able to think His thoughts. You remember uh, Romans 8? How God was taking all things and working them together for your good because the plan of God over your life is to conform you to the image of Christ Himself. Do you remember that? God wants you to be like Christ. He wants you to think like Christ. He wants you to roll like Christ rolled. He wants you to be mature like Him. Who is Jesus? Well, in John chapter 1, you see that He is the living Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We find out He is the Creator God. Nothing that was made was made but what Jesus made it. So He is the living Word, and so you're never going to be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ unless you're able to transform your mind. Don't be conformed to the thinking of this world, but instead, Romans 12, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to prove what is good and acceptable for God before God by going to the Scriptures. We need the Word of God over our life, and until we think like Him, we're not going to act like Him. And the reality is, is we'll never have Christ's desires. We'll never have His heart in this life. Again, we talked about this last week. Our Bible school students in the counseling class, they're learning that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, right? Who you are is what you think. So your thoughts, those inform your attitudes. Those inform your personality. And it's out of your attitudes that your actions are brought forth. So as you think so are you. Well, we need to think like Christ, so we'll live like Christ. Most of the destructive living, the wrong decisions, the the recklessness that happens in our life, it's because we don't have the mind of Christ. In and of ourselves, we don't don't know how to think right. We We don't know what is right, so we need to be informed. And if we don't have Christ's mind, we'll be anxious over ourselves, over our well-being, over our agenda. Everything, and every, everything that we're thinking about is going to be centered on ourselves. So we need to be careful. If, it's all, if we don't have the mind of Christ, we'll be anxious over self. Our heart won't be on others. And so that's the amazing question, right? Are you anxious over yourself or are you full of care for others? Others is your next blank, point number two. So, so verse 6, we'll contrast it now with verse 10. He says, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. So here in verse 10, the word careful talks about having an interest or a concern on others. They were careful over Paul. They set their affection not on self, but on him. So there's a great difference between these two types of carefulness. In verse 6, the carefulness there is, it's all about worrying your tail off about your own tail. Do you see that? Don't be anxious about anything. Don't be a worry ward about what's going on in your life. Cast your care on God because He cares for you. Believe that. But here in verse 10, this is a care about others, being careful over others. And that is a mature focus in life. That's Christ-like. We saw that in Philippians chapter 2. Remember that? Being found in a fashion of man, what does he do? He takes upon himself the form of a servant. He humbles himself. He submits even to death. He takes your wrong, suffers God's wrath over it at the cross of Calvary so that we can have his life. I mean, talk about laying your life down, caring for others. That's maturity. 
That's a mature focus. First Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, We're to humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. Now watch this, verse 7. Here's two types of carefulness in contrast. Casting all your care upon Him, everything you're anxious about, right, that self-care, that worrying, no, you give that, you cast all your care on Him, for He careth for you. That's an interested care. God careth for you. He's, he's concerned over you. So don't worry because you matter to God. Don't worry because God's worrying about you. Do you see that? Uh, don't be anxious. God is interested in you. I mean, how many times when you read the Psalms do you see David come to God in tears, very anxious, but then end the Psalm with thanksgiving and joy? You just see that over and over again, don't you? Over and over. He gives his problems to God. And then he could be thankful because he knew God cared for him. Man, I, man God, okay, I, I, this ain't nothing but a thing, chicken wing. I know you got this, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get my praise on. So if you're mature, if you're mature in Christ, if you're conformed to the image of Christ, you are going to care for others just as God cares for you. A real Christian cannot say, well, I don't care about him. I don't care about her. So get this down in your notes. Here's the key. Care for others is a mark of Christian maturity. Maturity is your next blank. Care for others is a mark of Christian maturity. Did you realize that how you treat others, how you care about others, marks whether or not your Christianity is authentic and mature? In the Philippian church, they couldn't care for Paul. They didn't know where they'd imprisoned him. They found out he was in prison. They found out where it was, found out he was in the hole, and so now they could support him again. Well, that ought to be us. Our care for one another is the mark of whether or not we are mature, whether or not our Christianity is authentic. Jesus said in John 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye, love, ye also love one another. Well, how did Jesus love us? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. We'll check out verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Well, how has he loved us? Well, here it is, verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. How much did Jesus love me? Man, he took all my sin. He brought it upon himself. He literally, in his body, bore our sins to the tree of Calvary. It was crucified, right? Our sins was crucified in him. Everything that we ever did in rebellion against God, every sin we ever committed against God and one another, Christ was reckoned it at the cross of Calvary. Christ became it, and the wrath of God was poured out over our wrong. He did none of it. He was the perfect Lamb of God, but that's what qualifies Him to take away the sin of the world. So God's wrath is satisfied over our sin, and now we can be made the righteousness of God in Christ. We can be made right with God through Christ's finished work at Calvary. Man, how awesome is that? Verse 14 says, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. So here it is, Romans 12. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. That's the command. 
We're commanded to love one another. You say, well, what if I don't feel like it? Well, you were told to do it. Do it anyway. When somebody new walks into MBT, what's their first impression? Well, it ought to be, man, there's love in this house. It ought to be obvious that we are overflowing with the love of God. They should see us loving on each other, caring for one another. They should walk in and experience our love expressed toward them. It should be clear. It should be plain. Nobody coming for the first time should ever have to sit alone. Well, maybe they want to because of COVID, but they shouldn't have to, right? They shouldn't ever have to sit alone. They shouldn't have to wonder if they're welcome here. It ought to be obvious that we want them, that we care about them. Paul said to the church at Philippi, okay, once you, once you found out where they were holding me, once you had the opportunity to show care and love for me, before you lacked opportunity, you didn't know where they had me, had me hold up. Once you, found the, once you found out, once you had the opportunity, you did it. So that's the question on the floor this morning. What do you care about? I mean, really, what do you really care about? Maturity, Christian maturity, looks for opportunity to care for others. So many of God's people call themselves Christians, but the only thing they really care about is numero uno. All they really care about is themselves. That's because they're not mature. So how can I get to the place, right? You may be sitting here today saying, I want to be mature. I want to care about others, but I just really only love myself. I mean, I really want to care about others, but I'm pretty important to me. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to make that jump. How can I get to the place where, like Christ, I'm going to automatically care for others? How do I do it? How do I get to the place where that care, that love is real in my life? Well, let's look at verse 11, and here's the question. Are you content always in everything? Are you content always in everything? It's amazing that the idea of a correct care over others is coupled with the subject of giving. Uh, giving is your next blank. And it's interesting to me that there are two ideas interrelated here. We saw first in verse, verse 10 this idea of caring for others, growing to the point where there's not care or worry over yourself. We saw that in verse 6. There's not care or worry over yourself. It's a care, it's a concern that others are doing well. So that is the first idea. The second idea is this, that your contentment is based on where God has you in life. It's based on who God is in your life. Your contentment is with where God has you in life. So look at verse 11 and look at why these two ideas are connected. In verse 11, Paul gives the example of his own life. He says, not that I speak in respect of want. In other words, Paul really sincerely didn't want anything from the church at Philippi. He wasn't after anything from them. His joy in their care of him isn't like what you feel at Christmas, okay? Oh boy, what am I going to get? What am I going to get? What are they going to give me? What's, 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 you see that box under the tree. What am I going to get? Oh, me, 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 my, my, my. No, that's, that's not it. No, Paul already had everything that he wanted, and he was thrilled in the fact that they were manifesting Christ's heart toward him. He was overjoyed in that. They had Christ's heart. They had Christ's mind, and that just, that just blew him away. Now watch this. Christ is showing us more marks of a mature Christian through the example of Paul. And this insight into why some Christians live a life of joy, they have peace, they have contentment, 
regardless of their circumstances. And so we can't miss this. So get this down in your notes. A life of contentment must be learned from God. It's got to be learned of God. You have to learn it. You have to be instructed. Look at verse 11. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith, with that state, to be content. Okay, Paul, content with what, man? Dude, you are hanging in a, you're hanging out in a prison cell at the end of a chain. How can you be content? I mean, whatsoever state you are, we talked about this before. I mean, who could ever be truly content in the state of Nebraska? I mean, how could that happen? Paul says, in it, with it, I'm content. I'm content. Look at verse 12. I know both how to be abased. I know how to be demoted in life. I know how to be sent to prison. I know how to abound. I know how to be promoted in life. Everywhere, no matter my physical location, and in all things, no matter my personal condition. He says, I am instructed. I learned because I am instructed. In other words, I've learned the secret. Literally, what he's saying here is I've been initiated into this truth. I didn't discover this on my own. It's something that I had to be taught. It's something that God had to show me. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Listen to me. You need these kind of times in your life where you have rich times and then turn around and you hit the wall and everything comes apart. Because only then can you see it. Only then can you get, regardless whether I'm blessed or I'm just going through a rough time, Jesus truly is all I need. And if I have him, I have everything. See, you need to feel like everything's going your way one moment and then turn around and wonder why. Man, why has everything in the world gone wrong? Because only then can you understand it. Christ is my hope. My hope isn't in who's in the White House. My hope isn't in who, uh, who will say yes to me in terms of a date this Friday night. My hope isn't in anything external. My hope is in Christ. Only then can you understand it. You need times of financial goodness and prosperity and then have the bottom drop out. Because only then can you figure the whole thing out that real contentment is not based on externals. Real contentment isn't in any of those external conditions. It's only by knowing Christ. It's only by following and having Him in your life that you can have contentment and joy always in all things at all times, whether it's good times, bad times, fun times, hard times. Man, Christ is in your life, and so you're content. This isn't something that anyone who has just gotten saved Anyone that has just been born again, it's not something that they, a new believer, can really understand. This is something that comes with maturity. Now, when you got saved, you got some insight into this concept, right? You had to realize that Christ alone is the only way you could get saved, that He alone is enough to satisfy God's wrath over your sin. You at least had to come to the place where you recognize His is the only name given under heaven whereby men must be saved. Acts 4.12, you had to have believed that what Jesus said was true in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. At some point, you had to recognize Jesus is the only way to a right relationship with God. He alone is enough. I can't be good enough. I can't be smart enough. I can't be sexy enough. I can't be bright enough. I can't be winsome enough. I can't be good, right? Nothing in me is going to make me right with the Father. Only the precious Lamb of God had the ability to deal with my sin problem before God. 
So at some point, at least in terms of your salvation, you had to say Jesus alone is enough. So you saw it on the level of salvation that His work on the Christ of Calvary was sufficient to save you from sin. But to learn that He's truly enough for a saved life, you learn that over time. Only through time and only through the Lord teaching, only through instruction of the Lord can you truly realize that Christ alone is everything that you could ever possibly need. So get this down in your notes. A life of contentment puts you now in a position of strength. A life of contentment puts you in a position of strength. This is why Paul could say in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. If you want a strong Christian life, if you want a mature Christian life, you're going to live your life both good times and bad times, hard times, fun times, rich times, poor times. You're going to live it all in Christ. And you're going to do it knowing He's the only resource that you can't live without. You're going to understand He is your only real need, the only true source of real contentment in your life. Because once you have Jesus, you have everything. If you, if you own the creator of the universe and He owns you, if you can come to the place where you can say, I am His and He is mine, the creator of heaven and earth, you are one with Him. I mean, you are, you are set like Chet. Again, I don't know who Chet is, but he's got to be a born-again, blood-bought, I mean, walking with Christ outfit. He's got to be a mature believer. I mean, you have, you, you're, you're, you're good because you got Jesus. It puts you in a position of strength. Once you have him, you have everything. Why? Because whether you're abased or abounding in life, that doesn't affect your contentment. Once I've got contentment, I'm good. I'll give you an example of, of, of my marriage. You know, I dated a lot of girls. Uh, dated a lot of girls. And uh, I just kept coming back to this one, one conclusion. Um, in terms of a married life, Cheryl is all I need. Oh, baby, you, you got what I need. Okay, I mean, Cheryl, it's Cheryl. And for so long, you know, it's just, but you say you just a friend. Oh, baby, you. And then once I have her, now my state is married, right? Once I've got Cheryl in my life, it's like, what do I need with another woman? I have, I, have, I got, whoo, I got Cheryl, right? I mean, I'm, again, Chet's got nothing on me, right? I'm set. Okay, so once you've got Christ, now you're in a position of strength. Real contentment is found there. We saw this again in verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I mean, what can you worry over this life? What can you worry over? What can you worry about in this life when you've got Christ? Now, of course, you're going to have care for others, right? But your care for others, here it is. You know why you're going to care for others? Because you already have everything you need, so you can get your focus off of yourself and onto the need of others. And that's the mark of, of maturity. Christ is enough for you. You're set. 
It's good. We saw this in chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. Paul, as a mature believer, came to this place. He says, you know, my life in this world, the things I counted gain for me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Everything I thought before I needed in this world, I count it dung. It's all poop. I count them but dung that I may win Christ and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. My contentment isn't going to come out of my ability to please God through my works, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Here's the cry of his heart. This is the cry of the mature believer. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. It's the Holy Spirit through Paul that just keeps bringing us back to this one thing. And that, in your heart, examine in your heart, can you truly say that Christ alone is everything, that Christ alone is enough for you, that knowing him is your one desire. Are you at that place? Can you say that Christ alone is everything to you, everything you could ever really want? See, most Christians in this day and age, they can't see this. We're spiritually blind to our condition. We haven't matured yet. We haven't been shown this yet. We think we love Jesus and that He alone truly satisfies. Oh, yeah, 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 Jesus is all I need. Christ is enough. But, oh, I need that new, I need that new Ford Bronco. Have you seen that new Ford Bronco? I need that. I need that car, man. I'd look so good in that. Oh, right? And so you obsess because it's a cool car. You say, oh, of course Christ is enough. He's all I need. And then that same day, man. Even in the same hour, your heart cries, oh, I wish she would just love me again. I feel like I'm dying without her. Oh, baby, you, you got what I need, but you say you just a friend, but you say you just a friend. Oh, baby, I mean, oh yeah, Jesus is enough, Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Or, man, all I want in life is a color and a rinse. Designer press-on nails. How am I ever going to get to be a size four again? And Jesus is on the right hand of the Father, heaving his holy guts. Check it out, Revelation 3.16. Because discontentment finds its way into every area of the flesh. For some of God's people... Unless you're gorged at every meal, there's no satisfaction, there's no contentment in life. For some of God's people, unless you're sexually released, there's no satisfaction, there's no contentment in life. For some of God's people, unless you are drunk, high, or sucking down a heater, you know, toking a lung dart, smoking a cig, there's no satisfaction, there's no contentment in life. For some of God's people, unless your tongue is destroying someone else because you've got a story you just got to tell, well, there's no satisfaction, there's no contentment in life. Because you don't know what contentment is. You'll never know what true contentment is unless God shows you. God, unless God shows you until he instructs you in this, in this truth, you're not going to see it. But once he shows you, he brings you to a place where you have to see that he is enough. Well, then you can be dirt poor and still be the richest person on the planet because you got Christ. 
You can come to the place where you have absolutely nothing in this world, and nothing's going the way that you think it should. But if you still have Christ, you have everything. Paul modeled it to the church of Corinth, 2 Corinthians 6.10. He says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. That's how we roll. You see it in the example of Christ. Again, 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And we're called to live the same way. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Content with what you have, living Christ, that is rich, right? It's great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, I don't have enough, I'm not content, I need more, I need more, I need more. They've erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So mark it down. You, and this is just true for all of us, you care about what you have, have as your blank. You do care about what you have, or you care about what you want. And if you really understand that you have Jesus, well, then what you care about will reflect that. I mean, what does the Bible say? Again, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So if Jesus is your treasure, guess where your heart's going to be? It's going to be with Jesus, isn't it? If Jesus is your treasure, well, then you can be content regardless of your circumstances. You can be content in any situation. If you're content, well, then you're no longer seeking to serve yourself. You're no longer seeking to please self. That's how contentment works, right? So Thanksgiving is coming up, and you probably know how this works. Thanksgiving dinner. Now, I'm not talking to the cooks, okay? This won't be quite the same for you. You know, when you're cook, like barbecue doesn't taste quite as good if you do all the barbecuing because the smoke's been in your nose the whole time. You can't, you don't get the shock of oh, barbecue that first time because you've kind of been marinating yourself. You became one with the, the, the uh, rump roast, you know? Okay, so, so I'm talking about those of us who didn't prep the Thanksgiving meal were the consumers of it. You remember sitting in the other room and you're visiting with family and you smell the turkey cooking and you smell the potatoes you smell the stuffing, you smell the, the spices, you, I mean, you just, the rolls, oh. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. The rolls, the homemade rolls, the smell of that bread baking in the house. I mean, and, and what's happening now is your stomach starts growling, and like, you, you'll go to talk, and, and underneath your tongue, it's like, <laughs> you're just like salivating. <laughs> you're just like, you can't, you got to stand back six feet because you're just Bring spit on everyone. I mean, just you're like, and so you start obsessing about it. You smell it and you must consume, must eat. So hungry, the belly gods crying out, me, me, me. And it drives you nuts. And then, you know, that you pray, God, thank you for this food. Thank you for this family. We, we give thanks. And, and then you get out those big platters with the side rails and you pile all that food on and. And you just, you're wolfing this stuff down and you're sopping up the gravy with the roll and you're putting butter and, and, and jelly and the cranberry stuff. I mean, you're just going to, t- it's really disgusting. 
Like if somebody was videotaping you eating that food, they would own you for the rest of your life. And so you just, you just, you just devoured that meal. And as you're finishing it up, right? Supper. No, supper doesn't even exist anymore. It's not even a concept. You're not thinking about supper. You're not thinking about your next kill and feeding. No, you are satisfied. You are content. Now your mind can wander to higher pursuits. What's on the game? What game? What football game and a nap, right? I mean, now you can get to bigger and better things because you've been satisfied. Well, that's the way it works with Christ. When you understand that your life is complete, that you are full, when you, your life is full, when you see Christ in your life, well, that is a source of contentment. All of a sudden, that new Ford Bronco loses. Those times were because I recognized that anything that was going to come out of my life, it wasn't going to be by my might or my power, but it was going to be through the person and the Spirit of Christ in my life. And... You know, now I've been saved for 40 years, and I'm starting to figure a few things out. Uh, there is one thing. There is one desire. There's only one real need. I mean, what else? If I've got Christ in my life, what else can I really, truly want? I mean, having things, well, it's nice. I know how to abound. But praise the Lord, I also know how to be abased. I know how to suffer need. And I can be rich in those moments of lack because I have Christ. Again, set like Chet. So can you determine today, this is the invitation, can you decide today that you're going to set your affection on Christ and find your contentment in Him? And then number two, and I tremble to say it because I know how people nod their head, but they don't mean what they're saying. But could you ask God, could you come to the place this morning where you would, like I did, you know, 15, 20, well, about 17 years ago, could you ask God to help you to show you this? Paul says, I have learned because I've been instructed in this. And he went through some hell on earth to learn how to both be abased and to abound, to be full and to suffer need, to suffer lack. God initiated him. God taught him. God showed him what it meant for Christ to be everything, for Christ to be enough. Would you be bold enough? Would you dare to ask God to instruct and initiate you? That might mean he blesses you and everything's going great, and then he's like, okay, but now you don't need that because I'm teaching you. It might mean that everything's going your way, and then all of a sudden everything comes apart because God wants to show you. I'm trying to initiate you. I'm trying to teach you. I'm all you need. Would you be willing to ask God to show you that? Um, it'll change your life. <laughs> but it'll bring you from being stuck in verse 6 to a place where you can live verse 10. And it's no longer about you, but it's about God having his way in the lives of other people. I'd like us to bow our heads and humble ourselves right now, and let's pray. The Bible says if you're willing... Right? First, 2 Corinthians 8, 12, if there first be a willing mind is accepted according to that a man hath and not according to that he hath not. You don't have the ability to truly say Christ is all I need until God shows you. Paul says I had to be taught this. But if you're willing to learn it, right? If you're willing to say God show me this, well then God will accept that and he'll start 
basically he'll say, get on the bus, boy, it's time to go to school, you know, he'll, he'll teach you. Is there anyone here that would say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? Because that's what I'm asking this morning. I'm asking for God to show me contentment in Christ. Yep, yep, yeah. Okay, so there's many of us. Anybody else, Pastor, please pray for me because I want to ask the Lord to instruct me in this this morning. Okay, so there's many. Is there anyone here that would say, Pastor, please pray for me because I'm not even sure I know God. I don't know that I've been saved. I don't know that I'm born again. I don't know that I have a right relationship with God the Father through the sacrifice of Christ, God the Son. I don't know that I'm born again. I don't know that I'm saved. Pastor, would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that here? Please, for, please pray for me. I'm not sure I'm a believer. Well, Father, you see us and you see us before you. There's so many of us that are saying we want to be instructed. We want to go to this school and learn contentment in Christ, and it's a scary thing. Uh, we may go through some hard time, uh, but if you're with us in it, oh, we give you glory. Nothing can be ca compared with the glory to come, and, and so we can give you glory now. Lord, I know that as you instruct us, you're you're showing us, you're teaching us that you're with us and that you're all that we need and, and, and we can learn maturity. We can learn to quit worrying about ourselves and just worry about who you are, your blessing in the lives of other people. We can get the mind of Christ. And so for, 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 the, for just the multitude of people who are saying, I need, I need this in my life, God, hear their prayer work in their life so that whether abounding or, or abasing, full or lacking, that they can rejoice, that they can have joy, that they can say they are content because you are their everything and that they have you so they're full. God, I pray that their testimony would be that, Lord, you've taught them contentment in Christ. And I ask this today in Jesus' name. Amen.